politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. Your host, Daniel Horowitz, is back in the house for a full, exciting week here on August 31st. The summer is waning. It's almost over. Yet the tyranny is just as bad, if not worse, than when the summer began. We have made no progress in combating it. We have made no progress in combating the anarchy as well. You know, every day I come before this microphone questioning whether I spend time talking about how we are still denied our life, liberty, and property because of a lie about this virus. Every sphere of it is built on a lie. The threat assessment of it, the way we combat it, or our lack of ability to arrest it, this whole testing regime. And then there's the issue of the anarchy. The growing random crime as well as the organized insurrection by terrorist organizations like BLM, burning, looting, and murder, as well as Antifa. This is happening, as we noted on Friday's show, right here, right now, not in Joe Biden's America, not in the future. This is happening now with Trump as president. And if the president really wants to make a difference, plus win re-election, the way to do that is by using that power now. And on today's show, I want to discuss how that begins by using the bully pulpit. The bully pulpit. It became apparent over the weekend that the GOP convention had many more viewers than the Democrat convention did. I believe Trump's speech got 25 million more viewers. Trump has that big ace in the hole for himself, that bully pulpit, which is greater than any other president has had. If nothing else, the media cannot help themselves in covering him. If I were the media, I would starve him of energy, but they can't help themselves. So he has the opportunity to use that to combat the corona cult, fascism, and lies, and combat the anarchy and insurrection. So that's the thing. What do we discuss first? Do we discuss the reverse Jim Crow in this country? The relentless war on whites in this country that I am willing to call out by name? Because that is what it is. You see all these new videos of random attacks on on whites. These criminals articulating why they're doing it. A Trump supporter shot dead in Portland. Almost every one of these people being repeat violent offenders who are let out of jail only to go on to offend a month later. We have rapes in broad daylight in New York City after a generation of gains against crime there where it's now going back to the way it was in the 70s, if not worse. And then we have tons of news on the virus that exposes every aspect of what our country has done at a federal and state level for the last five months as a lie. So we're going to do a little bit of both today. But if I had to start off with what I feel to be the top news story, and that's hard because there's a lot going on, it's the story that's really not going to get much attention But it's a linchpin to the entire lie of the corona cult. And shockingly, yet pleasantly surprisingly, 
It came from the New York Times. I got to give a, a Porvo Mendavili, I believe uh, that's her name. I'm sorry if I pronounced it wrong. I got to give her a lot of credit for what Rush Limbaugh often calls a random act of journalism. But there is a bombshell report that basically shows and indicates and implies if you would extrapolate the data that they found from Massachusetts and a couple of other states, New York and Nevada, that anywhere from 90 to 99% of the positive test results we are seeing are essentially bogus. Meaning they're either false positives or there is not enough cultured RNA on that swab to indicate that that individual is contagious and indeed 95% of them at the point that they are swabbed, they are not really positive in any meaningful way. They cannot transmit. Their lives are being shut down. Their contacts are being contacted. You have this fascist, Nazi-like contact tracing. All for a lie. I can't believe it. I talked about this just a couple weeks ago. How ironically it was the New York Times that broke the story in 2007 that these PCR tests are so hypersensitive, they pick up anything the way they do them, that they could create and perpetuate pseudoepidemics. And how at Dartmouth Hitchcock Hospital in Lebanon, New Hampshire, people were coughing away, a lot of doctors and nurses in the hospital, they thought they had pertussis. And indeed, they got a PCR test to test for pertussis, and it showed 142 of them were positive. And it turned out, that it had a 100% false positive rate. It was nothing but a cold. At the time, the New York Times noted, this occurred in 2006, their article is in 2007, their very sensitivity makes false positives likely, and when hundreds or thousands of people are tested, as occurred at Dartmouth, false positives can make it seem like there is an epidemic. We failed to learn that lesson when we tested millions upon millions of people in this country, just randomly, not having symptoms driving it, just, oh, you must go get a test to do this, to go to school, to go to work, to, to get out of quarantine, when people had no symptoms. And it turns out now that while obviously this didn't start out as a false epidemic, there was an epidemic, particularly in the Northeast, to a certain extent, for a certain period of time, mainly people with comorbidities. But right now, it is being perpetuated by this testing regime, and that is a pseudo-epidemic. Right now, we have a case-demic of just cases that are pretty much false positives, if, if not in the, in the literal sense of the term, but in all practicality. I just want to first say there's another story that's floating around and I always hate it when we have like 10, 20, 30 important stories that are not getting out and conservative media will never follow them and then they'll pick the one thing that's insignificant and run with it. So the other story you're all hearing about is the 6% business. Oh, CDC says that only 6% 
died of COVID without comorbidities. And unfortunately, people are running around taking the wrong message from that and implying that 94% of the COVID deaths are bogus. That is not true. We have said before, it's roughly somewhere in the in the ballpark of an inflation of 23, uh, 25 to 30% inflation. Um, not 94%. What that number is not saying that they didn't die of COVID. They did, whatever percentage died of it. It's saying that it's speaking to a different point. Who is vulnerable to die of it? It's only people with specific comorbidities, mainly heart disease and diabetes and a couple of other things. That is 94%. I don't know why that's going viral now. I mean, we knew that for six months. That's, that's been pretty obvious. But the bigger story that is not getting picked up is this New York Times story. And the administration needs to hold a press conference. The president should put Scott Atlas out there. And by the way, Scott, you know, we've had him on the show. We're making progress. And as you know, I don't just criticize the president and the, and the administration. We work hard at it. Scott Atlas really cut his teeth in media at our, our network. And then he, you know, Fox started having him on and Trump found him. And now he's doing good work. And, and you're noticing there is a shift in messaging at a federal level. And I'm sure it's because of his work. Which is why you have CDC now saying it's stupid to test asymptomatic people. But it turns out this is a little bit nuanced and complicated, which is why it's hard to get this out. But basically, here's the story. When you take the swab PCR test, so it doesn't pick up enough virus, enough RNA or DNA that it could reliably be detected in its unaltered form, right? It's too small. So they have to use heat and annealing, like hardening, hardening processes to selectively amplify it so they could detect it. The degree of amplification is what makes all the difference. And these are called CTs, cycle thresholds. How many times they run the cycle in the machine, basically the way to look upon it, as one infectious disease doctor explained, cited in this New York Times article, is the equivalent of pressing the zoom button on your computer. How many times you zoom in? Now, obviously, the more you have to zoom in in order to detect the viral RNA, the more that means, or, or that means that the virus is much smaller. The viral load is smaller. Okay, so the more CTs you need, that threshold, I detected the RNA at 20 CTs, 30 CTs, 35 CTs. And the New York Times discovered that in most of these states like Massachusetts, the labs set the threshold at 40. So that means they ran it through the machine 40 times. And they noted that if the CT would have been set at 30, which is more advisable, 85 to 90% of the positives in Massachusetts would have been rendered negative. You see, what the PCR tests do not do without having any fancy, you know, you know, non-commercial, intense 
scientific uh, lab doing it for you. What they don't do is show how much viral load. Are they still contagious? Is it dead or alive? Are you essentially picking up a vaccine? Dead cells. Is the person transmissible? Picture like a a pregnancy test. One line, two line, or a color-coded thing. It's on or off. So you could literally set the sensitivity to a certain level that it is so sensitive, it's picking up stuff that really is, for all intents and purposes, is not really a virus. They're not transmissible. And that's why you have all these asymptomatics. It's a joke. Maybe on some level they have it. But remember, if you were to do this for 50 other viruses and bacteria, God knows what you would pick up in all of us at that level of sensitivity. Remember, it's not that we don't get certain viruses. We often do. But it's at such a microscopic level, it's meaningless. We could create pseudo-epidemics and and fear. And I mean, if you would culture everyone and blow it up 40 times in a machine, God knows what you could find. Exactly. God knows because God protects us from it. What's hidden is to God. What's revealed is to us. Now that we have these machines that start looking into this, God never meant for that to happen. The only meaningful study I have found on CT levels was from, it was published in Oxford University Press for the Infectious Diseases Society of America, published a couple months ago. They found that there was absolutely no viral growth from samples with a CT above 24. Okay, remember the, the New York Times is saying it should be at 30, but they found no growth over 24. So that's going to be likely would net a false positive result of, of over 95%. They also noted that there was no transmissibility after eight days from onset of symptoms, irrespective of the CT level. Meaning even if you had a very low CT level where it was a high viral load, you, you see that three, five, seven uh, CTs. But if it's after eight days, it's dead. It's not transmissible. So most people, by the time they get tested and get the results back, irrespective of the CT level, that this is a separate point I'm making, it's dead. Which basically means you put those two factors together, and unless you have someone that is having trouble breathing, then there's, there's a small number of those people, you essentially don't have it. This is the thing where we're finding, if you notice, daycares and camps were open all summer. No, no meaningful problems. Schools have been open in the South for a while, the places where they had them open, draconian regulations and the mask wearing, but they've been open. You have all these scary headlines of all these cases. Show me the symptoms. Show me the hospitalizations. Show me the deaths. None. None in the schools. None in the camps. It's a, it's a phony case-demic. The tests are essentially picking up dead fragments of microscopic amounts of old viruses. Think of all the life and liberty lost because of this testing sham. Imagine the pregnant mothers with low or dead viral loads come into the hospital. They feel fine. They're getting ready to have a baby. 
And they're like, hey, you tested positive. They're separated from their newborn babies. Separated from their newborn babies for nothing, for a lie. And we knew this. Remember, the NFL has some of the best health care available. So they're going to do things right. You know, they're going to get the stuff, the machines, the testing that you and I can't get. As of last week, they were up to 77 false positives, which is a lot for that universe. 77 false positives across 11 football teams. And those were downright false. But de facto false positives, they essentially don't transmit. And by the way, this is what we're seeing now. This is another proof that asymptomatic don't really transmit. We've already had about three studies on that. Not a single study has shown that they do transmit. And we continue to perpetuate draconian policies based on a premise that should have easily been studied over the last five, six months. And they cannot produce evidence, just like they cannot produce evidence on the efficacy of masks because they don't work. Because every study that we've seen on the flu shows they don't work. And we see from Peru to the Philippines to Hawaii to California to Miami to Israel to Japan to Hong Kong, everywhere where they had universal mask wearing for months, it spreads when God plans for it to spread, the way it plans to spread, and the number of people who will die will die. And there's nothing you can do to alter that. A lot of new studies are out on that, by the way, maybe we'll get to later in the week about how human intervention doesn't make a difference. But we see it from the basic observation, state by state, country by country. But folks, it's not as if we didn't know about this. CDC and the World Health Organization always warned about PCR testing. During the SARS epidemic, SARS-1, this is SARS-2, in 2003, CDC put out the following, quote, To decrease the possibility of a false positive result, testing should be limited to patients with a high index of suspicion for having SARS-CoV disease. So number one, there has to be very evident symptoms. In addition, any positive specimen should be retested in a reference laboratory to confirm that the specimen is positive. To be confident that a positive PCR specimen indicates that the patient is infected with SARS-CoV, a second specimen should also be confirmed positive. See, now they're forcing the opposite. They're saying you have to have two negatives rather than two positives. World Health Organization warned at the time, quote, a single test result is insufficient for the definitive diagnosis of SARS-CoV infection. So there's nothing new about this. They knew this all the time. So now we have schools that are basically run on a testing regime for a population of people that are always asymptomatic. They're not contagious. Their threat level is lower than that of the flu. This is all about people with heart disease and diabetes. And yet, they continue to do this. And look, CDC is, is starting to say what we're saying, and I think it's thanks to Dr. Atlas. But you know what? The policies aren't changing. The states are doubling down on stupid. Because you have Debbie Burks out there 
running her mouth. She's on a national tour demanding lockdowns. And I don't understand how if Trump confides in Dr. Atlas and believes in him, why does he not fire Burks? This is what I can't understand. The immortal words of you're fired were associated with Trump among a generation of people who watched primetime TV when he had his apprentice TV show, his reality TV show, and yet this man seems to be incapable of firing people. At best, after months of these ditzes, he'll finally, after conservatives pressure him, he'll hire a good guy to then have to fight with the bad guy. But you're president. Why have Burks running loose? Get rid of her. He seems to have sidelined Fauci. Why is she not sidelined? I just, I, I don't have a good answer for that. I don't get it, but it's ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous. St. Louis, uh, Minneapolis Star Tribune, Burks urges Minnesota to, quote, buckle down on COVID-19 before winter. We're asking every Minnesotan to work really hard over the next four to six weeks to really bring these cases down. Because when you have lower level cases, it's much easier to contact trace and get into those neighborhoods and find those asymptomatic spreads. I mean, every word out of her mouth is built on a false premise, now debunked, and she's speaking on behalf of the administration. The president could use his bully pulpit to fight back so at least in red states, they'll start ending these draconian mass mandates and these superstitious distancing crap and, 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 the, and, and these soft rolling shutdowns and the panic porn and the fear associated with it that is killing so many people from suicide, from denied care, from drug overdoses, from social, social isolation of seniors. This is unbelievable. Mr. President, use your bully pulpit. Have Scott Atlas give a primetime press, uh, press event every day and fire Debbie Burks and anyone else promoting this. You get one shot at re-election. Speak with one voice. But this is where we're at, folks. This case-demic. It's all a lie. And by the way, I just want to leave you with one other thought on this issue before we go on. Think about the fact that you need 40 amplifications to see these viruses. You mean to tell me a cheap cloth mask is going to stop that? I mean, it's mentally ill. And indeed, we're seeing it doesn't stop it. UK Telegraph. The country with the world's strictest lockdown is now the worst for excess deaths. Guess which country that is? Peru. They literally put people under house arrest. They had universal mask wearing. Forget about cases. See, the other countries that did this, like the Philippines, have a lot of cases, but they have that inherent herd immunity of the Pacific Rim countries. Peru evidently doesn't. They have now surpassed Belgium with the highest deaths per million of any country. 
Excess deaths. Very good measure. Now, my friends, let's move to the opposite. You guys already know about Sweden. They didn't do any of this garbage. And they have fewer deaths. They have their economy intact. They have their mental health intact. They didn't kill people from missed heart and cancer diagnoses, stroke diagnoses. But we actually have our own version of Sweden, and that is South Dakota. Kudos to Governor Kristi Noem for, for resisting lockdown. Her economy is intact as much as a state could be. Obviously, it's interconnected, and you know they're going to get hit from the entire country shut down, but they're better off than any other state. They have very few deaths, one of the fewest per capita. Something interesting happened that you guys need to know about. Some of you might already know. Every year, they, they host the largest motorcycle rally in the country, might be in the world, every summer in August. It's called Sturgis. From August 7th to August 16th, 500,000 avid motorcyclists descended upon this tiny town in South Dakota. 500,000 people. So, you know, you could talk about, oh, okay, you know, they South Dakota locked out because they have low population density. This is what you would call the ultimate super spreading event. I believe it was the largest event of its kind, of any kind. It was the largest gathering in the nation for months. They found 70 cases and they looked, boy, did they look hard for them. 70 cases. That's a, that's, a, that's a ratio of 140 per million over the course of a week. That's nothing. Okay? In the last week, nationwide, there were 288,000 new COVID cases. Okay? That's 294 per million. So Sturgis had a 53% lower rate of infection than the U.S. And, and these guys are pretty wild, as you can imagine. It's not just outdoors. It's, they'll go indoors. They're certainly not going to be doing all this stuff. Crowded bars, drinking, lots of other stuff goes on there. Clearly, clearly, we have reached in most parts of the country that herd immunity threshold which clearly is not 80%, but more like 15 to 20%. Okay? That's the story. I've seen maybe one hospitalization to come out of that. And yet we're canceling schools for the lowest age, lowest risk population, making them wear masks, the sick, demented child abuse. And again, some of these guys are younger, some of these guys are older. Some of them, I'm sure, have conditions. 500,000 people. Barely anything. Barely anything. That's the story. So you see, it goes where it goes. If you could have, if you have no distancing and it's not meant to go there 
or there's already herd immunity, it's not going to go there. If you do the biggest lockdown ever and destroy your society and have everyone wear a diaper and it's meant to go there, it's meant to go there. Again, there's a lot of science behind this. You can't block respiratory viruses. Masks don't work. This stuff doesn't work. It's going to come when it comes. A lot of it has to do with seasonality and latitude. Like Hope Simpson study noted over 100 years ago with the flu. But it's also rooted in biblical principles as well. If you look everywhere in the Bible, it talks about a plague. It mentions directly the hand of God, where there's no human involvement in that. King David was presented with the choice of getting punished with a famine, a plague, or an invasion. And he chose the plague because he said that is the most direct from the hand of God. And God's punishment is measured out. Whereas with human free will, you know, you start getting involved with that. You're going to start killing a lot of people from an overreaction and a reaction that doesn't help anyway. Except to kill people who were not slated to die. And, and as we've said so many times, most of the people who do die, remember, again, you can't say that 94% of the deaths are bogus. They're certainly not bogus. It's probably about 25%. But 94% had comorbidities. Which means a lot of them were going to die as, as you know, Neil Ferguson himself said, the lockdown king, they were going to die within a year anyway. So if you compare the years of life lost from the virus versus the years of life lost from the other ailments and the suicides and the drug overdoses, the man-made plague of lockdown, panic porn, and fascism is a lot worse than the God-made plague of coronavirus. So this is where we are with that. There's a lot more news I have on on this issue. New evidence shows between 95 to 99% of U.S. child care programs appear to be operating with no outbreaks. Remember, the outbreaks themselves are a joke, either false positives or asymptomatic, no problems. But most places don't even have cases. And there we are. Mr. President, you need to use your, your voice. You're hearing all these cases at college campuses. Do you know that at University of Alabama, they now have over a over a thousand positive tests? Do you know that there are zero hospitalizations? Zero. They're like, oh my gosh, over a thousand cases. And I'm like, oh my gosh, zero hospitalizations, which proves our point. And there's no evidence of virus transmission due to in-person class instruction. There's no evidence they got it from each other. And they didn't just come with it initially. Again, if you start a university with 10,000 people in late August, a certain percentage, depending on where you are in the country, are going to come with the vibe. They're going to always have it. And again, when we say have it, I'm using air quotes. Whatever that even means, to have it. And yet, where do you see the equal and opposing force from Republicans. Instead, you have Tom Tillis, senator from North Carolina. I promise you. He said, 
I fell short by not wearing a mask at the convention in Charlotte. He like gave a mea culpa. I should have worn a mask. These are the Republicans we have speaking on our behalf. So we'll get into the viral news a lot more later in the week. But then, then there's the anarchy, the insurrection, the rioting, the war on whites. Many of you have seen this individual is now this, this, there's a suspect in the case on Saturday where a Trump reporter, a Trump supporter was shot dead in Portland and the BLM crowd was chanting how happy they were about it. They were rampaging through Oakland, California, chanting death to America. See, at this point, I have no desire to talk about Islamic terror. We have it here at home without immigration. Trump needs to designate BLM as a terror group. He needs to give a national address on this. He needs to lay out the evidence. And he needs to draw upon the Insurrection Act of 1871, which was specifically designed not to get permission from states to send in the military. It was designed when the states are denying life and liberty. It was designed when the KKK was going around murdering blacks and they weren't getting prosecuted. Doesn't that sound familiar? It's just in reverse, where you have blacks or those supporting the BLM movement going around hunting down Trump supporters or whites and they don't get prosecuted, but you get prosecuted. You get denied life and liberty of defending yourself. It is time for them to step in. It's time for them to for DOJ to step in and prosecute them. It is time to call in the military to crush them. Mr. President, you are president now. You know, Steve Scalise, the GOP House Minority Whip, he put out an ad. No police, mob rule, total chaos. This is Joe Biden's America. Dude, this is happening now. They keep putting out these ads saying this is what's going to happen if Biden is president. This is happening now. Act. Use the bully pulpit, but then act. What's going to change in the second term? And you need to show decisive action if you want to win and get an opportunity to have that second term. That is what the president needs to do. And none of this business of like sending down a handful of DHS agents to protect a, a courthouse, but in a, like for them to roll up in a fetal position, get attacked by blinding lasers, cowardly run away from it, do nothing. Like, no, go on offense, hunt them down. When you have domestic violence and, violence and an insurrection, it's in the Constitution. It's in statute. That is a job of the federal government. When a state is incapable or unwilling or participating in the insurrection, that is one of the primary reasons we have a federal government. I'm sick of hearing, oh, I don't want to overstep the states. There's a time to apply that, and there's a time not to. We do have a federal government for specific scenarios, and this is exactly why we have it. Use it or lose it. If you can't do anything, then what are you going to do in a second term? And then we have this continuing under-incarceration problem, this crisis of violent criminals being released without bail or on low bail to commit more crimes, and then they get released again, regardless of their criminal record. 
A lot of people were shocked to find. Over the weekend, this, this occurred on Saturday. It was caught on video, one of the most shocking things ever. On a Manhattan subway platform, the suspect, Jose Reyes, 31 years of age, was caught on video. He basically approached a random woman, punched her, knocked her down, and went on top of her, starting to rape her. Broad daylight, with people around on a subway. The people yell for her for him to get off. Not a single man approaches him and charges him, which is pretty shocking in itself what a society we've become, especially in that part of the country. But he like gingerly like gets away. Thanks to facial recognition, police caught him. By the way, one of the facets of criminal justice reform supported not just by Democrats, but by Republicans, including those in the Trump White House, by the way, is to start limiting the use of facial recognition. And that's a whole nother story. Guess what? This guy has now been released on just 70,000 bail, despite having 14 prior arrests, including one for violence just a month ago, which is why the police recognized him. Catch and release. This is the America we now live in. Yet all Republicans want to talk about is criminal justice reform. We lack up too many people. Retards. Sunday, uh, just on Sunday, NYPD also announced this guy Kareem Jackson, 39, a career criminal is homeless, was charged with kicking a man down the flight of steps. At In Penn Station, Penn Station, the guy died. Well, guess what? He was out on parole, despite his criminal record. And then it turns out that the leading suspect under investigation, they still haven't arrested him, for the murder of... Aaron J. Danielson, the Trump supporter in Portland. According to Andy No, who's been covering Antifa very dil- diligently on his uh, blog site and his social media postings, the lead suspect turns out was just arrested in July for carrying a loaded gun illegally at a riot. And he was let go. And now he murdered, allegedly murdered, this man. This is not the exception, these cases. This this is the rule. This is what's happening in our country now. There's a lot of people kind of quasi-rioting, but there's only a certain number of people who will actually rape or murder someone. It takes a certain type of individual. There's too many of them, but it's a certain percentage and they're known quantities because they commit crimes. Whatever psychology behind them that they don't feel deterred, and you can't really blame them these days for not being deterred from doing it the first time, you release them, they'll do it again. Imagine if we had a relentless, consistent, united narrative from the Trump White House, the Republican Party, every day from now through November 4th. 
about the repeat violent offenders, the under-incarceration problem, the catch-and-release problem, and, and if Trump would now make the September budget about this issue, defunding criminal cities, defunding sanctuary cities for criminals and illegal alien criminals, creating a funding program for cities and localities that will work to lock up career criminals just like we did in the 1994 crime bill. Imagine if we did that. You wouldn't have to hope and pray that he wins re-election. He would absolutely win re-election. Again, I can't be more pro-Trump than he is himself. He's got the right materials on this. He's got to run with it now. He's got to use that bully pulpit to speak the truth both on the crime issue, the insurrection issue, the virus, and he's got to act accordingly, act decisively, act consistently, and speak with one voice as an administration. You can't have this going on. This just makes no sense. But this is where we are. We now have whites being hunted down in this country. It's time to speak out about this war on whites. Because it's being fueled by a blood libel. That's what blood libels are. It's when the opposite is true. This notion that somehow whites are hunting down blacks and they're being unjustly killed. Look, I get it that people have stayed away from this rhetoric in my business and some of my colleagues. Oh, they're too scared to talk about this when it was just like affirmative action. But it's gotten to the point. I mean, you saw that Boeing said they're going to give all black employees a 20% increase regardless of who they are in their performance and not any other race or group of people regardless of their performance. Could we really live in a country like that? And isn't it the ultimate insult and ultimate racism and ultimate soft bigotry of low expectations to use African-Americans' paradigms of people who are criminals? These are the people we we celebrate, Blake, rapists and sex offenders and druggies. But you got to get the right information because it turns out every single thing that has happened in this country to create upheaval for the last six months was built on a lie. This New York Times revelation that we started out with about basically asymptomatics being bogus and the testing being bogus is the equivalent of the George Floyd thing. Where it was revealed last week, the medical examiner believes in Minnesota that this man died. A fentanyl. Like we said all along, it was an optical illusion. He wasn't choking him with his knee, he was checking him. One thing you don't see is how much pressure he put on him. Everyone's like, how do you do that for nine minutes? And yeah, it was so appalling. How do you do that for nine minutes? It turns out, because he wasn't putting a lot of pressure. So when he said, I can't breathe, he didn't believe him. Because they always say they can't breathe. In this case, he was telling the truth because he was having a heart attack because of his condition mixed with the fentanyl. He didn't know that. There's no way um, Chauvin, the police officer, should have known that. 
This case should be dismissed. It's all a lie. It was all built on the line. And the Blake thing, straight up, this guy was just came and had a warrant because there was a call from an, a, a black female who was being sexually assaulted by him. And this guy already had a sexual assault conviction. He was reaching for a knife. Police shot him. He was made a hero, even at the Republican convention. The president needs to speak with one voice. And he needs to act on these two issues. Otherwise, I don't want to hear about Joe Biden's America. The fascism against everyday Americans is happening now under Trump. The denuding of our right to self-defense is happening now under Trump. The reverse Jim Crow is happening under Trump. The systematic war on whites is happening under Trump. I'm not saying it's his fault, but I'm saying it's happening under his watch. He needs to act. The reversal of a generation of gains against violent crime is happening now. I don't want to hear, oh, it could get worse under Biden. Anything could get worse, but we've already reached the point of pure hell. It's got to be reversed. So again, there's a lot to set the table for this week. We're going to be following up on each and every one of those issues we mentioned today. Let me know stories that you want me to cover. You can email me at dharwitz at blazemedia.com. Tweet me at rmconservative. Feel free to join our Facebook family discussion. We have two Facebook pages. The public one is Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary. If you want to post on our private one, you could request access to Miniman Speakeasy. Folks, we got to stay informed, stay brave, stay armed, and stay resolute. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening. <laughs>